from Matthew chapter 13. Or is it just the pearl of great price? The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went out and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everybody. Well, on this first Sunday here of August, it represents a couple of mile markers that I want to take a moment to recognize. Uh, For one, we are now within a month or so of our 20-year anniversary, um, which, yeah, I know it's a subdued crowd, and in a lot of spaces, 20 years would be a big deal, but it's, uh, we're going we're gonna to work our way towards connecting to that. Um, yeah, right, so you'll, we'll, we'll be hearing a lot about this, so I'm not actually trying to say too much about that, other than why that's significant for today is we're going to end what we've been doing a little bit sooner. I, I I think things are just going to take it. So the technical anniversary is September 10th this year. It's always the Sunday after Labor Day. So, But I want to take the rest of the Sundays in August to start kind of building up towards that and thinking about that together of what it means for us. And so that's one important mile marker that's coming up. It will be a big deal. But then that also means that we're bringing to a close a series that we've been in for quite a while. Uh, We've been uh, in the book of Matthew. We called it Together in Matthew. But we took a different approach uh, this year. We've done books of the Bible before. But we've never done one where we followed the church calendar through a book. Or so to say it another way, we didn't go chronologically from the beginning until the end. We started in Advent and then continued through the different um, church calendars and followed the lectionary readings in Matthew throughout that series. Um, and we were going to do it through the end of August and finish it off there, but we're going to stop today. We're going to finish it off today. So before doing those, so I think it is important. That's the first time we've ever done something like that. So we've almost, for a full calendar year, for church calendar year, been in one book of the Bible together and um, looked at it through the kind of rhythms of the church calendar. So that's kind of a cool thing that we just did together. And we're going to wrap that up today. We are going to finish up our journey in Matthew through the lens of following the rhythms of the church calendar. That also feels like kind of an important mile marker for us. So I'm thankful have been able to do that. Grateful for those of you who've been around for the whole of the journey. If you're just jumping in, welcome. I think the passage can stand alone even without all that we've done before it, but also want to honor and recognize that as our community is doing that. Sound good? So anniversary coming up, big deal, finishing off a year or a church calendar year in Matthew following the church calendar. So with all that being said, uh, Sarah read, it's amazing how much Jesus can say in a short amount of time, isn't it? The reading was a total of three verses, and Jesus tells two full parables in three verses. It's the second time this passage he does that. Um, last week, Benjamin did the section um, with the, uh, the kingdom as a mustard seed, which is followed by the parable of the kingdom as yeast. Again, it tells two parables in three verses, kind of incredible. So the whole final stretch where we have been, where the, where the lectionary is at right now, which is the readings that go to the church calendar, uh, the lectionary was in chapter 13 for quite a while. And so I actually want to take a step back. This in a lot of ways, these two parables we just read are kind of self-evident. I more want to kind of frame them and prepare us for receiving the gift of communion together. And if you're with us virtually, please make sure you've got your elements ready to receive communion again with us at the end. So let's take a step back, remember what the whole of 13 is doing, and then I actually want to make the case that these two parables we read is kind of the embodiment, the personification of how to do this. But we'll get there in a moment. 
So in chapter 13, there's the series. It's the largest collection of parables by Jesus anywhere in the New Testament. Jesus tells a number of successive parables, and they're all built around a certain idea. And I want to come back to this idea. If you were here, we did this one week. Let's come at it fresh again. This is, if you if you want to flip back um, in 13, this is like verses like 10 through 16 or so where he explains this. But Jesus says the purpose of all these parables. He talks about soils and seed. He talks about um, wheat and wheat. He talks about mustard seed and yeast. He talks today about the treasure in the hidden field, um, uh, the pearl of great price. Jesus, the purpose of all of these is to experience the kingdom of God, um, to reveal the kingdom of God. That's the purpose of all of these parables, all right? Uh, so Jesus, it, it, in a sense, parables almost reflect the kingdom. That, that when you hear the phrase, the kingdom of God, it is on one hand meant to be a simple and accessible idea that our lives, the world, our communities look a certain way when it's oriented around the love and character of God. And in another way, it's profound and multifaceted, and you can spend the rest of your life reflecting on it and never get to the full totality of all of it, right? It's both meant to be simple and profound all at the same time. And that's kind of like how these parables are. Every one of the parables on one hand is actually pretty simple, right? It talks about the receptivity of soils, talking about the reality of wheat and weed growing at the same time, talking about the kingdom being like a mustard seed or like yeast. On one hand, all these parables are simple. On another, they're profound and invite us into deeper and deeper reflection on the nature of the kingdom. All right, and then I want to go back to these three words because I really think this is insightful. Jesus uses these in that, in that passage, 10 through 16, when he's explaining to the disciples the purpose of these parables, the purpose of the revelation of the kingdom. He uses three words. Two of them are kind of clearly senses words. The third one is a little bit different, but Jesus says it three different ways, and I'd like to repeat this. This is what I want us to think about for the rest of this as we prepare for, the, for, the, for communion today. Jesus says he wants us to see the kingdom. We see that phrase first, see the kingdom. All right, so Jesus says he wants us to see the kingdom. Secondly, interesting kind of twist on it. He says he wants us to hear the kingdom. Will you say that? Hear the kingdom. Thirdly, he says he wants us to understand the kingdom. So let's say that, understand the kingdom. All right, so these are essentially saying the same thing, but it's a, it's, it, it evokes something different to think of each one of those, right? To see something, it feels a little bit different than to hear something, which feels a little bit different than to understand something. Right? So I want to reflect on these. Says, well, get, well, again, where I, where I want to kind of take this, I think these two parables of these two people, one who discovers something, one who's on the search for something, I think these are the answer to how Jesus wants us to do this. But let's think of, if you just, if you just remember, and this is what I want you to just, I want to start this, but I'm hoping you'll continue to meditate on this, um, to just simply remember the fact that Jesus, as he is at work in your life, one of his greatest hopes for you, just as it was for the disciples, just as it was for the people back then, one of Jesus' greatest hopes for you is that you would see the kingdom of God. Which assumes what? It assumes if, if Jesus wants us to see the kingdom, what does that assume we're not doing right now? Right? It assumes right off the bat that we're not seeing something that's in our midst. Right? You track with me? Um, we did a short little trip this week to Washington, D.C., um, Liz was speaking at a conference and had a free place to stay, so we went, and actually, I've never been there before, so at age 50, I saw D.C. for the first time, um, and we did the whole, like, touristy, walking around, seeing the White House and Capitol Building, or whatever it's called, and <laughs> place where they make all the, yeah, it's, you can see, it's really not my thing, I'm like, I feel like the kids need to say they saw this, but I don't know, there's like about it, a lot about it is very conflicting for me, um, but there was this one kind of visceral moment I had. We were right in front of Capitol Hill, so there's like thousands of tourists you know, taking selfies and pictures and all that. Then there's all the people actually work there and look very busy and very important that they're doing. Um, and then there was this little revival tent right there in front of Capitol Hill, some folks playing guitar, some people kind of intermittently preaching and leading in worship. 
And uh, I thought of this notion of Jesus talking about seeing the kingdom. And this is an imperfect analogy because it's, for purposes of this, I'm assuming something very meaningful was happening under that tent. And for all I know, it could have been a worship leader with crazy theology and political views who was trying to manipulate people towards that. So it's, it's, it's an imperfect analogy in, in, in this sense. But for the purpose of kind of how I was experiencing it, I'm not quite Julie of Norwich here with the chestnut, but I was having my own experience of this. Uh, let's just assume something powerful was happening with the people who were stopping there. I thought, isn't this interesting how so many things can be happening at the same time, right? You've got tourists buzzing through here who, what they're seeing is one thing, right? They have come here to see the sites and say that they've been here and take pictures. And so they're seeing one thing as they move around this. And then you've got the people whose whole career is kind of locked up, you know, in, in kind of working towards policy change and all that, and they're buzzing in and out, and they're seeing one thing as they're kind of buzzing around through here. And then you've got these handful of people who are like under this tent, like literally right in the middle of everything, are like pouring their hearts out in worship. Like they're seeing something very different in this moment, right? They're experiencing something very different in this moment. And it, it, just, it just struck me that in the physical landscape, we're all in the same physical place. We're all seeing the same thing at some level. And that in spiritual reality, we're all seeing different things right now, right? We're all aware of different things. We're all conscious of different things. We're all responding to different kinds of things. For me, that was a helpful way to get to this first invitation. When Jesus says he wants us to see the kingdom, the same language he used in Nicodemus in John chapter 3, right? Jesus says nobody can see the kingdom without being spiritually reborn. Just remembering this consistent invitation that all the parables are pointing to, but we're going to focus on these two, that Jesus wants to see, wants us to see the kingdom in a way that goes beyond what we see right now, right? That's just an ongoing daily invitation from Jesus that I think is a pretty cool and profound invitation. But he doesn't just say see, he says hear, which feels a little bit different, right? Uh, one of the weird little games we play in our household, uh, we call it the inception game. And so um, just all of a sudden, somebody will start singing a song that seems random. They'll go, how did I get that song in my head? And then somebody else will giggle and they'll say, I started singing it quietly in the background, hoping that I would inception somebody, right? And you go, oh, wow, yeah, you got me. Like, now I'm singing Bon Jovi here and I don't even know why, right? Like, how did that get in my... Actually, that's a bad example because they don't know Bon Jovi. But you, you, get, the, uh, uh, you, you, get, the, you get the idea of this. Um, uh, but I feel like that speaks to like a little bit of a different way of how we experience reality, right? Like, songs have a way of getting in in a way that spoken things don't. Right? And I almost have been thinking of it this week, like this this week, as I've been reflecting on the final pieces of Matthew 13 here. Um, what if the kingdom isn't just something that we're supposed to see, just something that we're supposed to intellectually engage with, but it's almost like this song that calls out to us, right? a song that invites us into a larger dance, into a larger creative movement that's happening from the triune God. Right? What, what if... One of the ways Jesus is talking about this is not only to see the kingdom, but to hear it, to hear the song that calls us to participate. I just think that's cool to meditate on of how is it different to hear the kingdom, to hear the voice, hear the song, hear the music that calls us into life in the kingdom. And then you get this final one, understand. Um, and I think that's an interesting one because there's probably something about the mind that's involved in understanding. I would certainly say that is the case. But when Jesus talks about understanding, as you see Jesus develop these parables, I think Jesus is talking about something more than intellectually grasping something. One of the things that, and again, I'm, we'll see how I think this comes to a head with these two, with these two characters. 
when Jesus talks about understanding the kingdom, here's what I think Jesus is talking about. These are all, up to this one, these are all agricultural um, uh, uh, parables that Jesus tells, right? So you get the sower and the four seeds, the four soils, right? So that's, so the understanding in that sense is fruit, uh, a crop, a harvest that comes to bear. Second one, wheat and the weeds happening in a field. Third one, mustard seed, yeast. When, when Jesus speaks of understanding the kingdom, what I believe Jesus is leading us towards is not just intellectually engaging, though I think that always plays a huge role, but where, to say, just to say it as simply as I can, to understand these things is to live differently because of it. Right? So when I understand the kingdom, it's not that I understand everything that there is to understand in the world, but to say I understand the kingdom is to say, I understand that I actually am created in the image of God and that my brothers and sisters are created in the image of God and we're going to live differently because of that. Right, to say, I understand the kingdom is to say, this is not just an intellectual idea that the God of the universe calls me God's beloved. I actually live differently because of that. Right, you track what I'm saying? To, to understand the kingdom is not just to have an intellectual uh, assent to it. It's to say, I take seriously that what Paul describes in Ephesians 2.10, that I am God's masterpiece, that we are each a masterpiece of God created in Christ Jesus created to uniquely contribute to the work of God in a way that nobody else contributes in quite that way, right? To understand the kingdom is to believe that what the Bible says, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us, right? To understand the kingdom is to believe that the Spirit of God lives above me and in me and through me and that I can hear the voice of God. To understand is to live in such a way that the kingdom is repairing broken things and to participate in that. You see, you see what I'm saying, right? Like uh, when Jesus says he wants to not only see, not only hear, but also understand, I think Jesus is inviting us to, to reflect even for ourselves, am I living differently? Is, is transformation manifesting itself in my life in such a way that it shows that these seeds are taking and growing into fruit? And so uh, that's re- this, is, this is coming back through, remembering that for each of these parables, this is what Jesus ultimately wants in the parable, that we would see the kingdom in a way that goes beyond how we've seen it before, that we would hear the song of the kingdom in a way that pulls us into the dance, that we'd understand the kingdom in such a way that changes and transforms us. You tracking? Uh, so as we now kind of begin to get ready to receive the gift of communion, I, I know I'm not spending a ton of time on these two parables, but because um, I spent so much remi- coming back to the sea here, understand. But here's what struck me in a way. If you've grown up in church, you're certainly familiar with these two parables. If you're not, cool, glad that you're interacting with them here for the first time. Uh, but here's what struck me. Often when I think of these two parables, I think of them in isolation. I just think of the man who discovered, the person who discovers this treasure hidden in the field, this person who, this merchant who goes on the search for the pearl of great price. But as I went back through and read it in sequence with the other ones, here's what jumped out. Here's what I would like to propose um, as we prepare our hearts for communion. Because all the other ones are agricultural that lead up to this, this is the first one where I actually see actual people as part of the parable. And so here's what I'm wondering, what I, I think I'm actually convicted of, but let me use wondering language. Here's what I'm wondering. I am wondering if Jesus tells these two sets of parables to give us a personification for how it is that human beings can actually see, hear, and understand the kingdom. I am wondering if Jesus gives these two parables as an embodiment, rather than keeping this theoretical of seeing, hearing, understanding the kingdom, I suspect that Jesus is telling us two actual real stories of kind of like what it looks like when somebody sees, hears, and understands, which I think kind of adds kind of a a, a cool flavor to these two parables. 
let, let me try to make it like really personal. This is how I'd love for you to interact because this this is I'm actually just doing a guided reflection from this point forward. I'm not going to say anything that you can't see for yourself very plainly here. But if you could, if if you if in your imagination you could go all the way to the place where Jesus was the enfleshment of God sitting next to you, and Jesus was saying to you, "Hey, Luke. Hey, Yesenia. Hey, Canna. Hey, you do. I want you to see the kingdom in ways you haven't seen it before." I want you to hear the kingdom in ways you've never heard before. I want you to understand the kingdom in ways you've never heard it before. If you heard Jesus say that, you go, okay, Jesus, I do want to see. I do want to hear. I do want to understand. How do I do that exactly? And what if Jesus' answer to you was, let me tell you two stories of people who actually did see, hear, and understand. Wouldn't that be valuable information to have? Wouldn't that be like, okay, good, that gives me something to start with, right, in terms of actually fleshing this out on a day-to-day basis? I believe that might be what these two parables are for. So that's what I want to do as we get ready for communion. I want to invite you to think alongside with me of how does each character in these two parables give us a picture of what it looks like to see, hear, and understand the kingdom. All right, so if you don't mind, Sergio, if you bring these um, two parables back up that Jesus tells. So again, they go quickly. But Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. So if we were thinking of this story through the lens of seeing the kingdom, of Jesus inviting us to see it, what do we see in this first parable? Well, the first thing, especially with that lens of seeing, that's most obvious, right, is that in the nature of this first parable, what Jesus is saying is that there was a treasure in this little town that had beauty and power and life-changing potential with it. But not only did this man not see it, nobody in this town saw it, right? I mean, it's, it's pretty straightforward, Jesus is saying, right? That it is possible. That, this isn't saying there was something out there that they needed to go on a search for. This treasure, this life-changing reality that Jesus is getting to with the kingdom of God had always been in their midst, the question wasn't a valuable or not valuable. No, the question was, will anybody actually see this treasure? And so and there's nothing actually particularly meaningful or special about this guy. It's not like he does something special. Like, yeah, this is, it was actually reflecting on this parable when I thought of that DC one where everybody's kind of walking around doing their own thing. Like everybody's just living their life, not doing anything wrong, but also not realizing that a life-changing treasure is in their midst. And so that's kind of the whole of this first story, right? That when this guy discovers this treasure that had always been there, everything changes for him. And again, I don't want to overcomplicate these at all. My, my hope in this is that it's like so piercingly obvious that it sticks with us for the rest of the week and beyond. Um, is, is it possible Jesus is just simply saying this to us, that when it comes to the good news of the kingdom of God, that we shouldn't make this more complicated than it's meant to be, that it is like a treasure that's already in our midst, that most of us are buzzing around, doing life, doing things that are fine, nothing inherently bad. But every day we buzz right past this life-changing treasure that each time, there's also this just kind of interesting, he hides it and finds it and hides it and finds it. There's, there's, something, there's something that speaks to kind of the nature of life in this, right? Where sometimes we discover it and sometimes it's almost like we lose it again. We have to rediscover it again, right? Uh, but the bottom line being, Jesus describes the nature of the good news of the kingdom like this treasure, that had always been in our midst, but that more often than not, we just don't see. 
So the invitation there, right? It's like a song that's playing that we're just not paying attention to. It's like this reality that we can see, but we're not always seeing it. I think the invitation is to trust God, to ask Jesus to open our eyes, to receive the invitation just as Jesus gave to Nicodemus, that Jesus helped me spiritually get in tune with the reality, the multiple realities that come with the good news of the kingdom of God. It's already in my midst. You are already in my midst. Your beautiful voice already calls out to me. I don't even have to go on the search for it. It's already here. It's already in my midst. And if I can use that understand one, right? It's see, it's here, it's understand. I, I really like this part. Even though it's so short, Jesus makes sure to get this. What is the clearest sign? Well, there's a couple of signs that are really clear about, actually, there's probably multiple things. I'm just thinking this out too here. Not yet. I mean, I've been thinking on this, but uh, uh, in the moment, I'm, that's just what I'm trying to get us to do too. Like, what are the fruit? What are the fruits that this guy understood the, the magnitude of this treasure, right? First, there's nothing halfway about the response. <laughs> when he sees this, I mean, it's clear. He sells everything he has, right? Whatever he had in that moment pales in comparison to what he realizes is available through the power of this gift, right? He, he sells everything. He goes after this. So there, there's something about our posture, I think, that changes when we realize, right? I, I, there are times where we should obey God out of duty. I have to, you know, like, for instance, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Every once in a while, Jesus says, do the right thing and your heart will catch up. That, there, there are times and places where that happens. But more often than not, reluctant obedience is rarely what God is hoping for from us. Um, it should feel much more like this character, where when you discover the message of the king and the message of the kingdom in your midst, it's got this the clearest response would be like, why would I want anything else but this? Like, why would I want anything else but this, right? Nothing else compares. Nothing else uh, uh, can measure up to the value of this thing I have discovered. And then the, the other just kind of clear fruit of understanding, and this, this, this I think, this is kind of what I'm getting to. It's, it doesn't say in reluctance he goes and buys this field, right? It says in joy. In joy he goes. How does, how does it say? say um, when a man found it, he hit it again, and then in his joy, in his joy, went and sold all that he has. Right? I really do feel like joy is always one of the clearest fruits of understanding the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean that life is easy. It doesn't mean that you're not facing some really tough and difficult things. It doesn't mean that you don't go through valleys of the shadow of the death, as Psalms actually say we for sure are going to. But there's something about receiving the joy of God over you that's part of this reception of the kingdom, that in our joy, we respond to this thing that for days and days and days, and weeks and weeks and weeks, and months and months and months, we just were walking by without seeing it. But in those moments where we do see it, I think it's meant to elicit a joy in us that really can't be described, humanly speaking. Because it's not, like, behavior can be described, humanly speaking. Joy can't be described, humanly speaking. That comes from something deep, right? So I think in this first story, in this first parable, this is Jesus embodying. This is Jesus personifying. What does it look like? And I'm, I, this is what I've been doing this week. Imagine Jesus talking to me. D Daniel, if you want to know what it's like to see and hear and understand the kingdom, think about this guy. And think about this little town of people who just walk past the treasure every, every, every day, every day, every day, without seeing, hearing, understanding it. But then when he did, in his joy, went and sold everything that he had. You tracking with me? It's a good way, I think, for us to start thinking about and preparing for the gift of communion in the, in the ways this reminds us to see, hear, and understand. 
And then, of course, there's a second character who his entire story here is told in one verse. Uh, no, two verses, sorry. Uh, the first one is all in one verse. The second one, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went and sold everything he had and went and bought it. All right, so let's just do the same exercise together again. If Jesus' hope is that we will continue to go deeper into the journey of seeing the kingdom in ways we haven't seen it, if Jesus is hoping that we would hear the song of the kingdom in ways we've never heard it before, if Jesus is hoping we would understand the good news of the kingdom ways, what does this character help us see that maybe goes even a little bit beyond what the first one does? All right, so let's start with C. Very different starting point in the second one and the first one, right? In the first one, the whole point is that this man, this, this larger group, they're in the midst of something that's beautiful and life-changing and profound in its power, but they're just completely oblivious, completely unaware, right? That's the starting point of the first one. Is unawareness, disconnection, not seeing, is that the starting point of the second one? No, not at all. It's a kind of an interesting twist, right? Maybe these even kind of build on each other, right? It's important, I think, that Jesus starts with the one that he does first. But now he's talking about something different. This is not somebody who's unaware of the beauty. The metaphor changes. It's not a field. Now it's a pearl. But this merchant, we can kind of read into the story. Uh, this merchant already has kind of a deep sense of the value of pearls, right? uh, so much so that his livelihood now is wrapped up around it, right? He, he spends his time on the search for things that are beautiful. But here's what's different about this guy than the first guy. And, and, and think about it with me. I'm, I'm just continue to reflect. How does he help illustrate for us seeing, hearing, understanding a different Maybe the, the here one is what comes out for me. It's almost like the more beauty that this merchant sees, the louder the song becomes in the quest for even more beauty. Do you, do you kind of see, do you, do you see the difference in this one? It's almost like, like it's not, the starting point is not on awareness. This person is aware of the possibility of beauty. But the more beauty this person sees, the hungrier this person gets to find that, I like how King James calls it, the pearl of great price, right? Um, there, there's this intrinsic hunger, this intrinsic search. Um, maybe if we use understanding language, that the, the fruit of this person is that, Every time they experience beauty, they want more of it. Every time they experience wonder, they want more of it. Uh, use, using some more King James language, this is how I wrote it in my journal. Is it possible that, uh, that beauty begets beauty? Is it possible that hunger begets hunger? You see I'm saying? That like, whereas the first one's all about the discovery process, this second one is about the like, the, the, the way that your appetite, your hunger gets even more magnified when you've experienced the goodness of God. And for me, this goes in a little bit of a different direction when I think, like if I think again of me, Jesus saying to me, look at this second character. This is representative of how you can see, hear, understand the kingdom. In the first, here's, here's one of the interesting kind of contrasts between these two, at least for me. In the first parable, there's, this kind of reality they don't see in, in the power of discovering. But there's very little risk involved in the first one. Uh, in the first one, they're just obliviously kind of marching through life unaware. And then when they discover it, it's just so obvious. There's, it's meant to be so obvious, right? And then they respond. In the second one, there's interestingly, even though the starting point is that they already see, there's much more risk in the second. All right, let me put it in spiritual language. If you walk away today saying, all right, God, I want to be like the second character. I want to hunger for you 
and search for you and, and go on a quest to experience you in ways I have never experienced you before. In a lot of ways, that's riskier than the first one, isn't it? Because what happens if you go on that quest and then you don't find the pearl of great price? Right? What happens if you say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go on this search for beauty, but then you feel like you don't find anything there? You don't hear the voice of God in that place. Um, that's a different kind of vulnerability that's there in the first one. And I think Jesus consistently recognizes that in his teachings. So I want to recognize that that's there. I actually still to this day feel that. Of like, uh, maybe to say it a different way, it's almost tempting to cap the experience at certain points because then I don't have to risk the faith crisis that comes with searching for God in the next tier of experience. Um, I find that to be a consistent temptation for me to almost like just camp out and stop. You know, once I've experienced God in a, in a cool and powerful kind of way, feel like life is working a certain kind of way with God, it, I find that there's a scariness to opening it up to experiencing God in new and powerful ways. And so I'm not saying this is exactly going to be the same application for you, but this is what I heard for me as God spoke. Like, this is part of seeing, hearing, and understanding that you don't become content with the status quo of what you've experienced from God. That when God has revealed in all these ways, as I said before, when, you know, I think about the way the Imago day has changed, the, the, the way I think and live. I think of the ways that knowing that we are God's beloved has changed the way that I live. Knowing that we are God's masterpiece created in Christ's image, the way that changes the way I live. Knowing that the power of God is available to me, the way that changes that I live. Knowing that the Spirit is in me and speaking to me. On every one of those fronts, what I hear God saying to me this is, look at that second person. That second person, when they experienced beauty, didn't say, well, there, I've got a couple pearls now. I'm done. I'm calling it a day, right? Uh, no, every time he experiences this beauty, he wants even more. It, it elicits, it uncovers something. It stirs, it brings something to life that hungers for even more. I don't think it's an either or between these two characters. I think they each represent an embodiment, a personification of how we see, hear, and understand. But each one of them stirs me. Um, into thinking of all the parables. And Jesus desired that we would see the kingdom, they would hear the kingdom, and they would understand the kingdom. You tracking with me? So I'm going to turn to communion, but before doing that, I just, I, I, I'm really hoping, I'm hoping, especially, I just feel like those are so simple, those two stories, right? So there's no good reason um, to give in to the insecurities of not believing you can hear and respond to that, right? I just, I really feel like, especially with parables, they're designed to be, in fact, pearl's an interesting kind of thing, right? Because pearl comes from the sand being in the oyster, or however that works. But right, there's like the irritant process as it creates the pearl. I think parables are meant to be like that, where they're, we're meant to just kind of sit with them and allow them to just kind of keep nudging us, right? Allow them to kind of keep poking at us, allow us to keep saying like, there's something in there, I can almost feel it, but not quite, I'm trying to get it. I hope that uh, you could reflect on these two characters. First one, that discovered the treasure in the field. The second one, who's like the merchant searching for the pearl of great price. And I hope that, I hope that God can use these in your life in a way to expand the invitation to illustrate the invitation to see the kingdom, to hear the song of the kingdom, to understand it in a way that elicits transformation in your life. Amen. All right. Now, as we prepare to receive the gift of communion. 
let's use those two parables as a way to think about communion. This is something that's also been meaningful for me to do this week. So if the point of the first one, let's remember the point of the first parable, if, the, if, the, if we can agree at least one point of the first one is that there's a treasure in our midst that has always been there, but more often than not, we fail to see it, right? We can say that's, that's for sure at least one of the illustrations coming from that first character. Is that not a helpful way to think of the gift of communion? Isn't it quite possible that even if you've done communion a bunch of times before, that it too often is something we just do out of routine and too seldomly something we do, receive, that feels like a treasure that changes everything for us? So is that not maybe one of the ways we can prepare our hearts for communion today? Maybe maybe this is one of the ways we can prayerfully prepare ourselves today to say, God, as I prepare to receive this gift of communion, I confess, and this isn't in the actual confession, but this is a confession that's coming in my mind. We'll do a corporate confession in a moment. But it's possible we can say, God, I confess that more often than not, communion is something I do because I know I'm supposed to do, but it probably does not register as the life-changing treasure that you think of it as. It probably more often than not does not elicit that type of joyful response that's evidenced by the person in the first parable. God, today, help me to come to this table, come to these elements in such a way where I see the treasure hidden in the field. May you produce in me a joy that I remember through this gift of communion points me to the life-changing truths that are found in the kingdom. Maybe that's one of the ways we can prayerfully prepare ourselves for communion today. Maybe we can think of communion through the lens of that second character as well, the merchant who's already experienced beauty and now is on the quest to experience even more of God. Maybe that can be one of our prayers today. God, as I receive this gift of communion, may it foster an intensity of hunger inside. May it remind me of the beauty of who you are. May the song of the kingdom get go from super quiet song to really loud invitation into the dance. May it draw me into this longing for you. Mm, that's some of how I'm praying for this today. So let me lead us in a prayer to, to get ourselves ready. When, I, when we finish praying, you can come and receive it. There will be a pair of people at each table. They will remind you that this is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. Um, there's a cup that you bring both of these back to the table. There's a cup, and then there's bread over there, right? That's, yeah, okay, so we've got the bread. So, um, sorry, I'm doing the procedural stuff right now. We do take the gluten-free seriously, so this is the one that's gluten-free, this one with the white cup. So if you haven't figured this out, if you're gluten-free, you don't have to take the bread, but there's a gluten-free cracker in there. We get asked about that every time, so I don't think I'm clear enough to say that, so... You can receive the regular bread. Um, if you're not gluten-free, if you're gluten-free, you can just take that cup with the wafer that's gluten-free. There will also be elders in the back to pray with you if you want during this time of receiving communion and of worship. So I'll pray. We'll come and receive the elements, take them back to your seats, and then we'll do a corporate confession together and receive of this together. So join me in prayer, if you will. All right, God, in this moment, virtually and in person, we are here with you. And just like the treasure in the field, your presence, we remember, is not something we have to go on the search for. Your presence has been here the whole time. The gift of your presence has been here the whole time. 
it's important we remember that that search that the merchant goes for is not in the search for you. You remind us in that first one. You were always here. And so first, God, we align ourselves with that character, the man who discovers the treasure in the hidden field, even in this moment. Will you help us to see that which we need so desperately to see? That the God of the universe, the creator God, the triune God, the same God that breathed us into being, the same God that, like Jeremiah 1, you said you have set us apart before we were born, that same God who, like in Psalm 139, says, you knit us together in our mother's womb. That same God is with us right now. That same God who is the good shepherd in Psalm 23, who leads us to green pastures and still waters. That same God that is like the good shepherd in John 10, who calls us by name. You are here with us right now. Help us to see just that alone is a treasure. We don't have to go looking for you. We don't have to go searching for you. There's nothing required on our end other than to see that which is already here, the treasure hidden in the field. You are that treasure. As we prepare to receive the gift of communion, even if this is something somebody has done monthly, weekly, their whole life, we pray, We'll come to it today as if we've never seen it before. We, we think about these elements. We think about bread that was part of the Passover celebration since the time of Exodus, but that same bread with you when you were with your disciples, you said, this bread represents my body that is to be broken for you. God, we we ask you to help us to see the magnitude of the treasure represented by that beautiful reality that you came into the flesh to show us what you look like and then you allowed your flesh to be torn apart so that we could be made whole. As we bring these cups of juice back to our seat, remember in the physical, this is just a cup of juice that somebody put together and yet in the spiritual we invite you we ask you to help us see the magnitude of the beauty that you are drawing us into through that we think of you explaining this passover meal to your disciples and you said this cup this wine may just be wine but it represents the blood that i will shed for you it represents the covenant where I declare to my people, I am your God, and you are my beloved people. This is so much more than just something we do because we're supposed to do each month. You are the one. You said, do this together in remembrance of me so that you will remember what is true, that you will see the beauty and power of the kingdom that I have brought. So when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, this is one of the ways we do that. We come into your presence. We remember who you are and what you've done. We remember what you've called us into, and hopefully we respond in joy 
We're going to do a communal confession today. We're going to remember our sins. But even all of that is meant to elicit joy. In joy, we respond to the treasure of this message. So may every part of this be part of us seeing and hearing and understanding, even as we come up and receive the elements now, as we sit quietly, prayerfully in this music, getting ready to receive them. Help us to see, God. Help us to hear your song, hear your voice. Help us to understand in a way that elicits joy. Now let's come and receive. Let's come and get the elements and bring them back to our seats. together. We uh, now do this as a practice to do a corporate confession, which confession is not the same thing as repentance. Confession is simply to declare what is true. And so we try to say something together that kind of fits with where we've been. So let's read, we're going to read this together. So um, uh, read this with me, if you will. God, (laughs) is that the confession, uh, Sergio? It may be. It also looks like a chorus. I don't remember. Okay, there it is. Okay. Uh, Let's read this together. God, God, our good good soul, soul. we We confess that we have have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, create in us good soil that we might be receptive to the free gift of your grace. Plant in us the mustard seed of your kingdom, that we may grow in a tree of tender love. Uproot the weeds that keep us from you and our neighbor. Grant us the wisdom to examine the field of our own lives. Above all us, God, create us in us a humble heart that can understand and turn back to you so that you may heal us. That was good. Thank you. Let me read from this time the Apostle Paul talking about communion, remembering how Jesus talked about it. Here's how the Apostle Paul, tell, Paul, Apostle Paul says it, and this is 1 Corinthians 11. He says, I'm passing on what the Lord Jesus taught us to do, that on that night Jesus had prayed, to betrayed. First, Jesus took the bread, and he gave it to the disciples, gave thanks, broke it, and said, this is my body, which is for you, Receive this in remembrance of me. Can we receive the bread together? And Paul, remembering the words of Jesus, said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Which the covenant is when God calls us God's own. This is the new covenant in my blood. When you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. Remembering that every time you drink it, you proclaim the truths of God. So let us drink this remembering who God is. Amen. Let's now continue to sit in the wonder of that. And we've got one more chance to sing together corporately, responding back to God in Thanksgiving.
Can we stand together to close out? Maybe we can put hands out as a way to receive the gift of God's grace, love, power. May we remember that Jesus loves you and longs for you to see God's kingdom. God loves you and longs for you to hear the song of God's kingdom. God loves you and longs for you to understand the kingdom. God hopes that when you see and hear and understand, that you experience joy. You know, I I have come to believe that joy, at least in the Christian perspective, is not something we can produce on our own. I don't think it's something we can produce. I think, I think joy is something we mirror back. So when Jesus says he wants to see the kingdom, it's because he sees us first. And that enables us to see. When Jesus says he wants us to hear the song of the kingdom, it's because God is already singing over you. When God says God hopes that you will understand the kingdom, it's because truth is found in God and God is drawing you to God's self. And most importantly, and this is the word joy, when God says go and be joyful, it is because God already takes joy in you. And we mirror that back. It's the only thing that can really produce joy, I'm convinced of, is to mirror back the joy that we experience from a divine God looking down at us. So like the man who finds the treasure in the field, may you go with joy. And all God's people said, amen. Love you all.